Welcome to Living Water Radio. When I first arrived in Compton for my first call as a young single man, I didn't have any place to stay. I was looking for a place, so in the meantime, I found accommodations in a house owned by a sister congregation in town that had just been fumigated, then in a room with a church member until her son got home, then in a Sunday school classroom of the church I was serving until we took that over for something else, and then at the back of the worship area until I got a place of my own to stay. It was not bad. I was a younger man. I don't know if I could do the same thing today, but I was able to go out and stay wherever I could find an accommodation, much like the disciples in today's reading from the Gospel of St. Mark. My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. Today's reading from Mark 6 somewhat parallels where we are in the pandemic. In the pandemic, we've taken two steps forward and now one step back, with the variant and those who have not yet gotten their vaccines, making it now necessary to return to wearing masks indoors. In our reading from St. Mark, we took one step back and two steps forward with Jesus. In the part of the gospel that we looked at last Monday, Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. Today, Jesus takes two steps forward with the calling and sending of his 12 disciples. They are given some very interesting instructions and amazing authority from Jesus before they go. In today's reading, Jesus' disciples have zero ministry experience. They are sent out to get some as soon as they are called. Our reading starts with the second half of verse 6. Then he went out among the villages teaching. Jesus is not discouraged by failure. He simply returns to his mission and trains his disciples to do the same. Then, in verse 7, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. All we get from Mark about Jesus calling his disciples is that he called them, and then he sent them out. That made them apostles. Disciples are those who follow. Apostles are those who are sent. They don't reach full apostle status until the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Then they receive the Holy Spirit and go out into the world as apostles of the church, the body of Christ. Jesus sent them in pairs, which would have given them a measure of safety, defense against loneliness, and a means for accountability. But more significantly, under Jewish law, two witnesses were required for a valid testimony. The disciples are going to testify to what they have seen and heard in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits, the presence of evil. They did not have authority of their own. It came from Jesus. And what were they to take with them for the trip? Jesus gave them a list of things not to take that was way longer than what they were to take. Starting at verse 8, he ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals 
and not to put on two tunics. The disciples would now depend upon Jesus. A staff was an object of authority in the Bible. It is also useful to travel faster and with more stability as one moves across uneven ground. I take a staff when Sally and I go on walks in case we run across crazy dogs or coyotes. Some scholars say that it was hooked by the arms behind the back to help one move more efficiently and faster. I haven't tried that, but maybe it worked. Otherwise, they were to trust Jesus and depend entirely on the hospitality of those they met in the journey. They were to give no appearance of an ulterior motive, but only to bring the good news. Their housing was to take on the same form. Continuing with verse 10. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Hospitality was a huge social obligation at the time of Jesus. It still is today, especially outside of cities. So what, they just walked around and waited for somebody to take them in? Yes, exactly. When I studied in Israel for a semester when I was in college, I used to enjoy walks in the countryside. I got more a sense of it being a holy land there than in the cities or at the sites of the great events in the Bible that were now often encrusted with gold and silver and had churches or monuments built over them. It's very difficult to get a sense of what happened in those places by looking at them now. For example, people from all over the world come to Jerusalem, especially during Lent, to walk the route that Jesus walked from his trial to the place of his crucifixion. That level is actually about six feet below the route people walk today. The settled dust and dirt of almost two millennia are what people are actually walking on. They aren't walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Wherever I walk by a home in a village or settlement, if anyone inside saw me walking by outside, they would run out and say, come in, have some tea or water, have something to eat. Even if they had very little, it was expected that it would be offered to strangers. Jesus told his disciples to count on that. The expectation was that someone in the village would invite them in and then would invite them to stay there. And if that happened, Jesus said they were not to look for better accommodations. They were to build their credibility by seeking only to bring the message of Jesus Christ, that the Messiah had come and that the Messiah had sent them out with his authority to cast out evil and heal the sick. Staying in one place meant that people would know where to find them. If no one invited them to stay, they were invited to do something shocking. They were to shake off the dust on their sandals as they left. When Jews had traveled to other lands, Gentile lands, pagan lands, they were to shake the dust off their sandals before they re-entered the land of Israel so as not to pollute it. To shake off the dust of their sandals meant a statement that the place had not welcomed or heard them, could not consider themselves to be God's people. They were as good as a Gentile place and would be under God's judgment as such. Jesus told them not to spend a lot of time there. Move on. We continue with verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. Repentance is at the center of Jesus' proclamation, to repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance doesn't mean saying, I'm sorry. The Greek word here is metanoia. It literally means to turn around. It means I am going in the wrong direction, away from God. 
If I realize this and say, I'm sorry for the bad things I've done, that's not repentance. To repent means to turn around, to turn away from those things that are killing us, to stop and be drawn back to God in a life that truly is life. It is a change of heart and direction. That is the beginning of the Christian life and its content when we are going in the wrong direction. This passage concludes with the work of the disciples with the authority of Jesus given to them. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is their work. This is what they have to offer as their calling card. It is a reminder to us that, as has been said by others, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. Jesus qualifies the called. There's an African saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go in a group. The disciples are equipped to go both far and fast. They are told to travel light, to bring only those things that will help them move quickly, and not to spend a lot of time with people who will not listen. They are also sent in pairs. Relationship is everything in the Christian faith. Faith itself comes in a living relationship with the one true living God. But is two people a group? The state of California DMV seems to think so. I think it's funny that the far left lane of some freeway stretches is called the carpool lane or more properly the HOV or high occupancy vehicle lane. How many people do you need to have in your vehicle in order for it to be considered highly occupied? Two. <laughs> what is the smallest number you could possibly have beyond one? Two. That's considered high occupancy. That's a group. The disciples are sent and equipped to go both fast and far. And when they arrived at a new country, they were told to burrow in and be of service in the life of the community as they proclaimed the message. One of my favorite books on church development is a thin little book titled How to Knock Over a 7-Eleven and Other T Ministry Tales by Michael Cheshire. It's about a group of people who go to a smallish town of 9,000 people in Colorado to start a church. The strategy was for each of the group to be a specialist in one aspect of church ministry, so that a large church staff was present from the founding of the church, and potential members would have all the church's programs right from the start—preaching, administration, teaching, music, youth, worship, outreach, everything. The staff would each get a part-time job to support them until the church grew and they could make their church specialty their full-time job. That wasn't working. The staff was getting more and more frustrated. One night, they were having a strategy meeting, and their frustrations were bursting out. It got so heated that the lead pastor had to yell at the staff, you people are so disorganized, you couldn't knock over a 7-Eleven, and stormed out of the room and up onto the rooftop patio. He said that he wished he could say that he went up on the roof to pray, but he just went there to cool off. When he had... As he came down and approached the room where the staff was meeting, he heard them laughing and someone had taken charge and was saying things like, Okay, Jim, you get the getaway car. Julie, you get the guns. I'll watch for the police. And they had bonded over their plan. Everyone had also cooled down and they decided to take a new approach. They decided to be a servant church first and a professional nonprofit church organization second. They asked around to see what was needed and learned that the community really needed a handyman business, so they started one. They learned how-to skills on YouTube and kept their prices low. 
Then they found that a restaurant was needed, so they started a cafe and hired local people needing a job. If you didn't have the money for a meal, you could trade work for it. They started a low-cost car repair place for single moms and people who just needed transportation so that they could get to work. Then they started a summer outdoor movie theater and kept admission and snack prices low so that a family could afford to go. A flyer showing the movies and dates was sent around, and almost immediately, one of the major supporters of the church asked to see the pastor. He wanted to know why a movie supporting witchcraft was on the list. Which movie? A Harry Potter movie. The pastor explained that he thought it was more about friendship and loyalty and courage and resisting evil. He asked the supporter what kind of movies he would recommend. He said that he liked Lord of the Rings. Then the epiphany came and the pastor said they didn't have a Harry Potter movie that summer. They had two Harry Potter movies. After several years of serving and getting known in the community as people who genuinely came to serve, they opened their worship ministry. They have thousands of members in a town of 9,000 because they were known as servants of the community first. Like the disciples in today's passage from Mark 6, they burrowed into the community and gained credibility by not serving their own interests first. That's just the opposite of the way most churches are developed, and we spend a lot of time making up for it and getting known as communities of service to the larger community, as well as people with a needed message. Think about how you first came to be a Christian. Chances are it was because of the influence of a credible witness. Study after study on how people come to faith and are members of a local church for decades has shown that 80 to 85 percent, depending on the study, come to faith in Christ through the influence of a friend or relative. They are credible because they are not seen as having an ulterior motive, just our best interests at heart. People may come to a church because it's in their neighborhood, or they like the preaching, or the counseling, or the music, or the youth program, but that only accounts for 15 to 20 percent of all those who come to Christ. People are most likely to come to Christ because of the influence of a friend or relative, a credible witness, as the disciples were credible witnesses even when they were away from home, with nothing to gain personally, only something good to give to those who heard it. We trust God to provide us with everything for life that truly is life and eternal salvation because God is trustworthy. We see it first in the lives of credible witnesses around us, and then we see God working in our lives. We see it in our baptisms, in God's presence for us in Holy Communion, in the Word of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, God's odd-going presence within us, moving like streams of living water to nourish and sustain us in the Christian life. We are totally dependent on God for all life that truly is life. We can't do any of it ourselves. Like the disciples, we confront evil and cast it out. We seek the healing of what is broken. We call for repentance, for turning away from the things that are literally killing us and our communities, and turning toward God to be drawn to the life that truly is life. We proclaim the already and not yet reign of God by both deed and word. We serve others as a sign, but we proclaim the gospel as the substance of the Christian life, the death and resurrection of Jesus for the sake of everyone, and transformed life for all who receive God's gifts. 
Americans celebrate our Independence Day once a year on July 4th, the anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence from the unjust colonial rule of Great Britain. Christians whose lives are a new creation, who have been called to follow Jesus, who are fed and nourished by the Holy Spirit, are people who have been equipped and sent to bear witness to the presence of God in the world in response to the unearned and undeserved gifts that God has already given them. We are completely dependent upon God. We declare that God has given us everything, including our faith, including our salvation, including our ability to recognize God's presence in the world and share it with others. And we are dependent on one another in the church, each of us with different gifts, just as there are different parts in the body of Christ. We exercise our gifts for the sake of the whole church. We contribute our time, treasure, and talent in glad response to what God does for us freely so that we can accomplish the work that God has given us to do together. We celebrate our Dependence Day every day of the year because it is in our dependence upon God that we have been made free. Let us declare our dependence upon God today and give God thanks for all God has done and continues to do for our lives now and for eternity. Today, let's remember to pray to be the faithful members of the body of Christ that God has equipped us to be in our local church, to be faithful in contributing and making a difference in the lives of those both within and outside of the church. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have available and support your church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay at home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds, and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.